This is a download from Ormskirk Christadelphians of one of our Sunday afternoon talks. For more downloads, go to our website, ormskirkchristadelphians.org.uk or join us in person at our meeting room on Moorgate in Ormskirk every Sunday at 1.45pm. We hope you enjoy the talk. Well, very good afternoon, everybody. And thank you for choosing to share a few minutes thinking about what the Bible has to say about the existence of God. Because it's an interesting subject. If we were to ask this question 150 years ago, you would probably be saying, well, why do you even ask the question? At that point, almost universally there was a belief in God. Probably what that God was like, what he expected of men and women, and what his plans were for the future would have been very different amongst people. But there was a relatively universal belief that there was a divine being, a, a God of one sort or another. And today that's not quite the case, is it? Even in the United Kingdom where we are today, whilst it is in name a Christian country, a, a very large proportion of the populace would say, actually I don't believe in a God, or I actively believe that there is no God. Uh, and that is something that is very common and, and very much the norm today. So we want to spend a few minutes thinking about that evidence, the evidence that God exists. And we're going to think about it in three ways. And they're the three types of evidence that are the main sorts you would find in a British court of law. The first is testimonial or testimony. Eyewitness evidence to, to the case in hand. The second is real or physical evidence. This is objects or things you can look at that in themselves provide evidence for the case in hand. And thirdly, we're going to think about documentary evidence. Documents, again, which show evidence and which prove the existence of God. So that's really how we're going to break things down. So if you think firstly about this eyewitness type evidence, testimony, we're thinking about people who have eyewitness experience of the existence of God and have then given us their testimony that we can look at today. And, and there's a couple of examples I'd like to look at. Could you please come with me to the second book of the Bible, to the book of Exodus? Exodus chapter 33. <clears throat> And in the book of Exodus, we're looking at the time when Israel were being led by the man called Moses. And this is what we're going to read a little bit about. Exodus chapter 33 and verse 9. At the time, Israel worshipped God and their place of worship was a tent building called the tabernacle. And that was the, the centre of their worship. And that's where this takes place. Verse 9 of Exodus chapter 33, we read, It came to pass, as Moses entered into the tabernacle, that was this centre of worship I talked about, the cloudy pillar descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle, and the Lord talked with Moses. Look at verse 11. And the Lord spake unto Moses face to face as a man speaks unto his friend. And then he turned again to the camp. Well, there we have a record of God talking to Moses. Well, why can we treat that as an eyewitness account? Well, it's because Moses wrote the book of Exodus. So when Moses wrote this down, he was doing it from an eyewitness point of view. He was the man in case. 
He was the man who God spoke to in this record. And here in Exodus 33, Moses has written it down for us. And so Moses is our first eyewitness in looking at this evidence about the existence of God. An eyewitness who said, I know God exists because he spoke to me. Come with me to Matthew chapter 3. This is the reading that we had as an introduction. And in Matthew chapter 3, we're at the very start of Jesus' work. He's a grown man. But in Matthew chapter 3, he's coming to John the Baptist in order to be baptised. And then he will start his work of preaching and teaching and healing and so on. But this is the account of Jesus' baptism. And this is what we read. Verse 13 of Matthew chapter 3. We read that Jesus comes from Galilee to Jordan to John to be baptised. And he is baptised in verse 16 we read. Jesus, when he was baptised, went up straightway out of the water. And lo, the heavens were opened unto him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. The voice of God, the voice from heaven, and it wasn't witnessed by just one individual, it was witnessed by a number. We're told there were great numbers of people at these baptisms. We have the eyewitness account of the gospel writers. So the evidence for God existing is also supported by these eyewitnesses who heard God speak from heaven recognising that Jesus was his son and we're told they also saw the spirit of God the power of God coming on Jesus in the form of a dove so again we have eyewitness record that God exists I'd like to look a little bit further because one of the actually let me rephrase that the most amazing facts of the New Testament is the return of the Lord is the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and the resurrection of Jesus is if you like the, the pivot upon which the Bible turns and upon which the purpose of God turns, it's so important and as you might expect just to underline that importance there were plenty of eyewitnesses to this and I think we can accept that the resurrection from the dead is a certainly something most impressive and a certain piece of evidence that God exists to raise a man from the dead and so three days after he was crucified when women came to Jesus tomb they found it empty and they were eyewitnesses to the power of God now I'd like us to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 please we're going to look up several references this afternoon and that's because that's exactly what we're here to do is to look at the evidence and the evidence is provided through the pages of the Bible and talking about these, these, these different pieces of evidence that are put forward by it. And in 1 Corinthians 15 the subject matter is resurrection and it starts with the resurrection of Jesus. One Corinthians fifteen, and we're going to start in verse three. 
Now the writer is the Apostle Paul, one of Jesus' followers in the first century. And this is what he has to say. He says, For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. So he's repeating what I've just said. More precisely, I'm repeating what he said. But then we get into these eyewitnesses. Verse 5. He was seen of Cephas, which is another name for Peter, another of Jesus' followers. He was seen of Peter. And then of the twelve, the other remaining group of Jesus' closest followers. After that, he was seen of above 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to this present, but some are fallen asleep. After that, he was seen of James, and then of all the apostles. And last of all, he was seen of me also, as of one born out of due time. So Paul is listing these eyewitnesses, people who had seen Jesus risen from the dead, and had seen the power of God in action. And look at the numbers involved. He can name individuals. He talks about Peter, and he talks about James, and he talks about Jesus' other closest disciples. And of course, when he was writing, these were all people who who you could go and talk to. These weren't way back in the past as they are for us today. These are people you go and talk to and ask them about their experience. But did you see how he said he was seen of above 500 at once? So the Lord Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, was seen by over 500 people at once. And as Paul says, most of those at the time of writing were still alive. So you didn't just have to take Paul's word for it. You could go and speak to those eyewitnesses. Ask them what they'd seen. Ask them about seeing the risen Lord Jesus Christ. And there you have eyewitness accounts. Now, in the first century, there were people going all over the, the Roman world, preaching about the, the resurrection of Jesus, using exactly these facts as fundamental to what they had to say. And how many times could anybody produce an eyewitness that said he didn't? Never. How many times were eyewitnesses produced that he had risen from the dead? all the time lots and lots of witnesses so here again we have a a, a witness eyewitness testimony that God exists and that's all we're trying to to really pull together this afternoon so there is some eyewitness testimony now what we could do is go to all of the prophets for example in the Old Testament and almost every one of those prophets starts by saying the word of the Lord came to me and said or this is what God has told me to say or this is the message that God has and so you could go through I've I've listed on the screen the the prophets who wrote books in the Old Testament but of course it's not limited to them there are lots and lots probably hundreds of people in the Old Testament who were eyewitnesses that God exists who God spoke to and who then wrote down for us what he said And in doing so, confirmed that God existed. So, that's really where we're going to leave the eyewitness evidence for now. There is, of course, an awful lot more we could go to, as we've just referred. Let's think about real evidence, or physical evidence, as it's called. Things we can look at. Things that we can look at today, which prove the existence of God. And the first one we're going to look at is the nation of Israel. 
And on the screen there we have a picture of Tel Aviv today, a big, busy commercial city. No one denies that Israel exists. In fact, it's the cause of an awful lot of unrest in today's world, in the Middle East in particular. So it is a piece of evidence we can look at, we can see in our newspapers, on the television, we can go and visit if we want to. It's a piece of real evidence. In the light of that, let's look at Jeremiah, one of the major prophets in the Old Testament, and it's Jeremiah chapter 31. Jeremiah chapter 31 and verse 35. Now when Jeremiah was writing, Israel were in captivity. We're talking about 600 years before the time of Jesus. They'd been conquered by the Babylonian Babylonian Empire and taken into captivity and and then had come back. It would, would then eventually come back into their land and eventually the Romans would disperse them throughout the world and they would seek to eradicate them. Now, if we look at the history of Europe over the last hundred years, we'll know that in Germany and in Russia and in a lot of the Eastern Bloc under Soviet uh, occupation, there were repeated attempts to get rid of the Jewish nation or the Jewish, Jewish race. They were not popular, and Jews are very often not popular, uh, which is another subject in itself. And as a consequence, they tried to eradicate them. And yet... The evidence is that Israel still exists. They've been a nation since 1948, and despite the fact that almost all of their neighbours would like to see them disappear, they're still there. Well, let's look at what we read in Jeremiah chapter 31. We're going to start at verse 35. Thus saith the Lord, which giveth the sun for a light by day, and the ordinances of the moon and of the stars for a light by night, which divideth the sea when the waves thereof roar, the Lord of hosts is his name. So they're saying, this is what God says. If those ordinances depart from before me, saith the Lord. So God's saying, if the sun and moon and stars that we've just read about, he says, if they disappear, if they're no longer there, then, carrying on in verse 36, then the seed of Israel also shall cease from being a nation before me, Forever. Hmm. So the record says that God said, if the nation of Israel disappears, then you should expect the sun, moon and stars to disappear as well and not be there anymore. And he repeats it in a slightly different way in verse 37. Thus saith the Lord, if the heavens above can be measured and the foundations of the earth searched out beneath, I will also cast off all the seed of Israel for all that they have done, saith the Lord. So now he's saying, if you can measure the extent of space, and of course we can't, again, expect to be, uh, expect Israel to disappear. Well, of course they haven't. And that's why I say they are physical evidence. Israel are a nation. Some like it, some don't. But they're a nation and they're a fact. And the very fact of that, despite attempts, as we've said in the last century and many before that, to eradicate them, Despite the fact that by all human terms they should have disappeared, they should have been assimilated into the nations where they were scattered or wiped out by either Nazi or communist Soviet rule, despite all of that, they're still there. 
And that's why we present Israel as a country, as a nation, as another piece of evidence that God exists. Because God made a promise, God said this would happen, and they're still there. The next piece of evidence is the book that most of us have got on our laps or in front of us. It's the Bible itself. The Bible is a tremendous piece of work in and of itself. It was written over a period of about 1600 years. It was written by 40 different writers. Very, very different right people. From shepherds to kings and priests, businessmen, all sorts of people. Of those 40 people, some of them didn't speak the same language. An awful lot of them never met and as you'd expect, of course, spread over 1,600 years, they were separated by time as well. The Bible includes over 2,900 characters and over 1,500 places. It's a phenomenally complex piece of work. It took that long to write with that many people, and yet it has one entirely consistent message. Throughout its length, the message is the same to, to every level of detail you might like to go. And it's fascinating that when someone says, ah, what about this inconsistency? That once you look at it, you find actually it's not an inconsistency. But what you find is that the different parts of the Bible overlap in a perfect way and should give one single message. No individual person could do this project. For a start, no one lives long enough. No one could put together a project like this and have it hold together in this way. Yes, people could write a book of that size. They could make claims that are similar to what the Bible puts together. But no one could complete a project of this size and have it hold together perfectly. And I've got a pictorial example of what that looks like. The picture on the screen looks a little bit abstract. What it actually is is a representation of the Bible. And from left to right you have every chapter of the Bible as a bar chart going down. And you'll see each ch the chapters are of different lengths, some are much longer and some are much shorter. And that represents the chapters going down by their length. The lines going across are connections between those chapters. So what you're actually seeing is that there is an interlocking feature of the Bible that there are far more connections than we could begin to count on that picture let's be honest but what you can see is a picture of just how um, integrated the Bible is that from beginning to end the links between those verses and those chapters are more than we can really see with the naked eye if we're honest on a picture of that scale but I hope that gives you a feeling for just how consistent the Bible is. This isn't a book with the occasional chance coincidence or the occasional deliberate allusion between one place or another. This is one book which is entirely consistent and which connects from every place to every other. It's not a book a human could have written by any means, however clever. And so for that reason... I would put this forward as another piece of evidence, and again, a piece of evidence you can hold in your hands, that God exists. Because no one else could have produced the Bible. 
going to think a little bit about documentary evidence then. That was our third type of evidence. And these are documents, and in this case, of course, we're looking at documentary evidence within the Bible that show us that God exists. And I'll give you an example. If we were to look particularly in the prophets of the Old Testament, they talk an awful lot about the nations and the people of the time, particularly those who were around Israel, because, of course, that was the, the focus of the book. And it talks about nations such as Assyria and Babylon, which we've probably heard of, but probably not visited. It talks about nations such as Ammon, Moab and Edom, which we may well never have heard of, because they don't exist today and didn't leave that same sort of archaeological footprint as the Assyrians and the Babylonians did. And it talks about nations such as Egypt, who we do know of today, and Philistia, or what we would call today the Palestinians. So you see there's a mix. Some nations that, that we do know about today, some that we don't, and some that we know of, although they no longer exist. And what the Bible does, it actually talks about all of these nations, and doesn't just say what God thought of them at the time, it actually says what would happen to them. So if we look at Assyria, we, the Bible said it would be destroyed. Guess what happened? It was destroyed. If we look at Babylon, the Bible said it would be destroyed. Have you ever met a Babylonian? I suspect not, but that's because it was destroyed. It said the same of those other nations, Ammon, Moab and Edom. About Egypt, it said, well, it won't any longer be this great, powerful nation, as of course Egypt was in the days of the pharaohs, but it will be a weak kingdom. But guess what? That's Egypt as we see it today. Recognisable, we know where it is, we know where it came from, but a relatively weak country, and of course at the moment particularly struggling with its own internal problems. And it talked about Israel, that they would be scattered and regathered, and we've thought a little bit about that again. So you could spend some time, and I would recommend it, looking at those Old Testament prophecies, and just seeing how the documents of the Old Testament actually give us documentary evidence that, that God exists because who else can foretell the future who else could say this will happen to this kingdom this will happen to this kingdom and this will happen to this kingdom nobody so there's some documentary evidence that it's worth looking at we're just going to take one example here and look at Daniel in chapter 2 Again, Daniel chapter 2 is a book, uh, is a, a chapter worth looking at in its entirety and at your leisure. We're really just going to pull a few verses from it. Because in Daniel chapter 2, well, this was written at the time of the Babylonian Empire. And in Daniel chapter 2, we're actually given a timeline, uh, or, or a chart, if you like, of the empires that would rule the Middle East region from that point right through to today. And it would go through the Babylonian, Medo-Persian, Greek, the Roman empires, through to a time where there would be no single empire ruling the region, which of course is what we see today. So in itself, it's a fascinating read. And again, we ask the question, who else could foretell the future and could do it thousands of years in advance? Well, nobody. Well, we're going to uh, pick this up in verse 39 of Daniel chapter 2. 
In Daniel chapter 2 verse 39, the man Daniel is actually, this, this picture was given as a dream and Daniel's explaining it to the king who had the dream. And in verse 39 he says, After thee shall arise another kingdom inferior to thee. So he was talking to the king of Babylon, the next kingdom, the next empire would be the Medo-Persian empire, which wasn't as rich as the Babylonian empire, so, and not as powerful arguably. So that makes sense, doesn't it? Another a kingdom inferior to thee. And another third kingdom of brass, which shall bear rule over all the earth. Well, the next empire would be Greece, and who are very much associated with the use of brass and bronze in the things they made and in their weapons and in their armour. Verse 40. The fourth kingdom shall be as strong as iron, for as much as iron breaks in pieces and subdues all things, and as, as iron that breaketh all these, shall it break in pieces and bruise. Well, the next empire would be Rome. The Roman Empire was well known for being able to put down any opposition. The iron rule of Rome, as it has been called. They didn't tolerate such subversion or rebellion. They put down any, any attempt to overthrow their rule. Well, that's exactly what Daniel's saying here in Daniel chapter 2. Verse 41. Whereas thou sawest the feet and toes, part of potter's clay and part of iron, the kingdom shall be divided. There shall be in it of the strength of the iron, for as much as thou sawest the iron mixed with miry clay, and as the toes of the feet were part of iron and part of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly broken. And they wouldn't mix. And so that was what would happen. After the Roman Empire broke up, there were various regional powers, but there was never another single empire across Europe and the Middle East that would rule the whole region. It was always made up of different nations, different countries, much as we see today, some strong, some weak, but never able to actually stick together as one entity. It's interesting if you look at the, the machinations about the European Union as we speak. David Cameron has been with Angela Merkel in Germany looking at how they can make things work better. And even today, despite their unified intent to improve things and make things stronger it's still proving impossible to deliver and that's what Daniel talked about 600 years or so before the time of Christ so over two and a half thousand years ago and so we see again who could do that who could tell Daniel that nobody but God so it feels to me as though again the Old Testament is a very powerful source of evidence that God exists because it doesn't give bland platitudes. It didn't make general forecasts. It makes extremely specific prophecies of what is going to happen. And most interestingly why. And they come true to the very letter. So there is some more evidence for the existence of God. We can also look at other prophecies. And, and particularly think about prophecies about Jesus. Now around the December time when we're have a various Christmas services and so on Micah chapter 2 gets read and, and we may be familiar with those verses thou Bethlehem Ephrata though thou be little among the thousands of Judah yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel and in that one reasonably familiar verse we're told where Jesus would be born what would be thought of of the place he was that it was Bethlehem 
It's interesting, we're told it's Bethlehem Ephrata, which identified the Bethlehems, because there was at least two or three Bethlehems at the time of Jesus' birth. And so we have right at the start of, uh, sorry, right at the start of Jesus' life foretold really accurately from the Old Testament. And Micah was writing about 700 years before Jesus was born. And if we were to look further at the prophecies about the life of Jesus, well, the prophets talked about not just Jesus' birth, but about his family, about his mother, about the miracles he would do, about the power he would have, about his teaching, about his opponents, about his followers. Talks an awful lot about his death and about his resurrection and his ascension to heaven. Who could do that but God? Who else could put that accuracy and that detail? And we'll take one example from Psalm 22. Um, David was writing about a thousand years before Jesus. And in Psalm 22, another chapter worth taking time to have a look at at your leisure, you have a quite harrowing picture of crucifixion and the way that the Son of God would die. Psalm 22, and we're just picking a few verses. Verse 16 of Psalm 22. Interestingly, the Jews often referred to the Gentiles as dogs. Um, and there's a, an interesting allusion here. Bear in mind that it was at the insistence of the Jews, but actually by the Romans, that Jesus was crucified, them being the local power and carrying out the sentence. Verse 16 for dogs have compassed me, have compassed me, or surrounded me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I may tell all my bones, they look and stare upon me. They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. And there you have a picture of a man crucified. His hands and feet pierced. All his bones standing out. His opponents pointing at him and mocking him. Soldiers at the foot of the cross tearing his clothes so that they might share them between themselves and casting lots about his coat because it was too good, it didn't have a seam and they didn't want to tear it. Written a thousand years before it happened. I would again suggest to you that what we have in our hands is quite is strong documentary evidence for the existence of God. If God didn't exist, how on earth could David write these things? And say, so if you read the rest of the chapter, you'll see it's a, a very harrowing but a very complete description of the death of Jesus. So, there's just some of the evidence laid out for you there. We've looked at those three types of evidence. That there is testimony evidence, there is real physical evidence, and there is documentary evidence that God exists. And all we've done here is scratch the surface in half an hour or so. The fact is, God does exist. There is a huge amount of evidence to prove the fact. Not only that, he's active and he communicates to us. One of the things I hope you've seen through the, the few references we've looked at is that God has a plan. He didn't put the Bible together for the sake of it. He put it there for us to read it. And he has a plan for the future. Just as he foretold everything else that would happen in the world, so he has foretold 
what will happen in the world. That the problems in the nations and in the, amongst countries will get worse, but that eventually he will send the Lord Jesus Christ to establish his kingdom. But that's another subject that will be covered in this series. The fact is, God exists, God is active, and he communicates to us through the Bible. The question we've got to ask is, are we going to listen to it? We hope you enjoyed that talk. For more downloads, information about what we believe, and details of our meeting times, go to our website, ormskirtchristadelphians.org.uk. Uk.